0: Because we live in such a fast-paced world, as we saw with the GPS and the iPad, um, we do live in such a fast-paced world that sometimes, sometimes what we sacrifice uh, is the time that we spend with God. Now, I don't know how many of you this has ever happened to, um, but this week was extremely busy for me. Um, I have a couple of things that I do during the week, and this past week, and i 'll just share with you um, tomorrow we start uh, what 's called Riverside Adventist Soccer League. I was asked to help with that. Uh, little did I know that that help would be to spend the last two days from morning to night um, marking soccer fields with the help of my 14 year old son and another 14 year old kid and um, Although they have a lot of energy, we, it was painfully slow process. Um, I know all the elements of a soccer field. I don't, however, know exactly the dimensions, so we're going to have fun tomorrow when the kids are playing. Um, But what happens sometimes is, even in my own life, um, there are moments when I I sacrifice time with God uh, because I don't always spend the amount of time, of quality time with God that I would like. And so sometimes I'll think to myself, well, I'm just going to sit and just pray but then I'm going to just spend some time in the scriptures and so I have that intention but by the time I go from the downstairs to the upstairs something sometimes happens right and so the moment that I'm going to spend with God intentionally away from everything and everyone and I'm just going to sit and let the words just kind of pour over me something happens and then I don't get to that. Does that ever happen to any of you? Now, the Bible says that God's words will not go out and return to him empty. And so this morning, if, if you've had one of those weeks where you just didn't spend the time you were hoping with God, we're going to spend a few moments here. And we're going to just ask that the Spirit will just let the words of the Scriptures just kind of flow over you, that they would mold you and that the Spirit would shape you as you hear this. So with that said, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And now this is the first Christians and this is what it says and says and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, there are all sorts of models for church growth. If you go online with the advent of the internet, there are ministries after ministries after ministries that say if you use our product, your church will grow. If you do these 5 things, these 5 purposeful things, your church will grow. And so what happens is pastors because they want their churches to grow will go and do all sorts of these things and some of you know some of you have seen this. And there's these elaborate schemes and there's let's get as many people from your community onto your church campus and then you can kind of trick I mean get them to come to your church because you have something for them. And let's, let's raffle off something, oh, I don't know, an iPad, and maybe they'll come to your church again. And so what happens, and I have a problem with raffling stuff off to get people to church, amen? I mean, I will go to a church and try to get the raffle, but to get people into my church, I don't feel comfortable because the scriptures say that it's God who draws all people to himself, not an iPad. See, the reality is, in the first century, when the very first Christians... It says that what they did is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. This was it. This was Discipleship 101 in the first century. This is church family, elders, future church leaders that will be nominated by the people that we just nominated to nominate you discipleship was very simply focusing on these very few steps you see the word devoted in the greek wasn't just like i am devoted to something it's it's the word for constantly when i am home i constantly open the refrigerator door and find something to eat Okay, so it's this constant, constant, it's this thing they kept coming back to. If you, are, if you have parents and you still live with your parents at home and, and listen up, young, young people in the back, all right? and, and you're, <laughs> they're not talking, but I'm saying because they're going to get this one. If they want to do something or if they want something, what do they do? Hey, will you, can you do this? Hey, mom, can you do this? Hey, mom, what about this? And you're like, if you, if you tell me one more time, the answer is going to be no. But then they come back because they think five minutes later you've reset. I told my son, I said, if you ask me for a turtle one more time, you're not getting a turtle. So last night I said, if you don't leave me alone, I'm going to take your turtle away. (laughs) Because that's what we do. See, for the first century, the believers, it was this constant thing that they just kept coming back to God. Kept coming back, kept coming back. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It It wasn't hobby Christianity, right? They didn't just go to church on Sabbath. It was something that took shape and formed every single moment of every day of their life. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which we could say today is that they devoted themselves to the scriptures. Remember, Jesus had 12 disciples or apostles, and he taught them everything he needed them to know so that they then could teach other people. This was the apostles' teaching. They didn't have the New Testament in the first century. Right? They had only the Old Testament and they called it the, the Hebrew Bible. Actually, they just called it the law or the Bible. Okay, so they used that to teach people about who Jesus was. And then it says, so you do Bible, right? Teaching from the Bible, this is what we do. But then it also says that a part of the Christian church in the very early years, like the year after Jesus the year of Jesus' death and resurrection, they fellowshipped. Now, when we think of the word fellowship, we think of, well, we just hang out, and that is true, but it also meant this fellowship, as, as Paul would later use the same word, is that it was that the church also helped those who were in need. In the early first century, there was no American dream. There was no, if you work hard enough, then, you know, you'll make it. It kind of isn't like that anymore, is it? And so the job of the early Christians, those who had, it was their, it was their job to help those who had nothing. It wasn't we sell everything, because I know there's a text that says you sell all that you have and you give to the poor. This isn't communism. This wasn't socialism. It was like, you know, if I need something, I'm like, Bob, I am out of a job. I am up to, you know, I'm paying back school debts. I don't know. And I said, like, I just need to feed my family. Then Bob would say, you know what? Okay, I'm rich. I will give you some food. It's that kind of thing. It wasn't we sell everything and we put it in a common pot. That's not how it is. That'll be a teaching for another day if you want to look at that text. But for this, part of the early Christian church, it was you helped your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ if they were literally in poverty and had nothing. You wouldn't withhold a loaf of bread if a child needed something to eat. And the idea behind this is we help our brothers and sisters the third step is they would break bread. Now, there is this controversy behind this little part of this verse. Some scholars will say that it's only that, that this has to do with the Lord's Supper like we did last week. Like it's talking about the Lord's Supper, but what other people will say is no, it was this was that they were just supposed to eat together. When you break bread, you eat together. Meals would probably very likely have had the Lord's Supper element to it. But it was it was eating together. And then the third part is to the prayers. There was set times in the first century in the Jewish um, temple where you would go and you would pray it, to church. So it wasn't they just came to, to the temple on Sabbath. Is that they were coming maybe three times a day and they would do the prayers. And for the early disciples, they didn't want to mess with that because that was important because praying is always good. And so they kept what was good. So the prescription for church growth in the first century, at a t- and our current 21st century looks a lot like that now, is it was, you read the scriptures, you spend time with your Christian brothers and sisters' fellowship, you help them if they need help, you eat together, and you pray. Two out of these four is having fun, because I always have fun when I eat. I always have fun when I'm hanging out with friends. I have fun when I read Scripture and when I pray, but do you see what I'm saying? See, Jesus doesn't want you to just be reading the Bible all day long because he knows that that's weird, because you'd be inside all day long, and that's not going to do anything. You should read the Scriptures. You should spend time in prayer, but you also have to take that and be among the people that God has given for you to be with. That's why church is so powerful. You see, our church isn't going to grow if we do all these other fancy things. It's going to grow if we spend intentional time with one another. That is what the scriptures call us to be—to love one another, to spend time with one another. That's why a lot of times when I meet with you guys, and I remember one time, I met with a person who is not who's not a member of our church, and I said, "Hey, let's get together." He's a busy guy, really busy guy. I realized that, and I kind of felt bad, but I said, listen, why don't, let's call him John, hey, John, that's not his real name, hey, John, why don't we meet, there's some questions I have, you know more about the city than I do, let's get together for, for dinner, and he was like, well, I could just come to your office, I said, we can go to dinner, he said, well, I'll just come by your office, so he finally obliged to go to dinner with me, and the thing was, is because I love having dinner with people, because there's something powerful that happens when you share a meal with somebody, it's why when we go on dates with, our, with our, our, our boyfriends and girlfriends and future wives and husbands, and you guys should try to go on date nights, husbands and wives, just because you got her doesn't mean that you're going to keep her. You have to continue. I mean, that's honey. <laughs> what I was trying to say is it conti- marriage continues to take work. That's all I try to say. Sorry, I didn't. I love you. And, but the reality is, is that you, relationships take work. That's why we like to go to dinner on dates. That's why we like to go to dinner with friends, because that's how we grow. That dinner, if you have a problem with somebody, and you're around the table and you're eating, those problems kind of break down a little bit, because you're putting good stuff into your body. And so the reality is, is that Jesus knows that, that the meal in the first century had an even more prominent place. It was important. You didn't just go to eat. You went to spend time with people. And this text is that we must spend intentional time with one another. It's not just you come to church and you get out. We don't practice a drive through religion. That's A, and that's not religion, and that's not real faith. Have any of you ever, have you ever or I've often heard people say, you know, God doesn't really speak to me. And God isn't really coming through for me. And God's really just kind of like absent in my life. And I, and I don't know why. And so I, I tend to want to ask these people, and I do every once in a while, how's your prayer life? I mean, are you spending time just letting the words of God just kind of flow over you? And a lot of times they're like, no, because I already know. I mean, I, I know, I'm, I, you know, And I said, you see, you want God to be there for you, but very rarely will you put time to be there for God. And I want to be 100% honest with each one of you. I know you guys are busy. I'm busy too. Part of my job is I get to spend time in prayer and, and reading the scriptures, but that doesn't always happen as much as I would like to. But we, you and I, have to put the time into it. You see, it's not a hobby. It's not just something we do on Saturday mornings. Some of you may come to church on Saturday mornings, and and that's where you think you need to be. But the rest of your week, there is no God. There is no scripture. There is no prayer. There is no intentional time with your Christian brothers and sisters. It's just I'm living my life, and then on Saturday I come. Well, if you feel like there's some emptiness, it's because you're not filling the rest of the week with the good stuff. I know what it's like to fill myself with good and I know what it's like to fill myself with bad stuff and destructive things, and I feel the difference when I stand here and preach before you. You see, for you, you can fill yourself with bad stuff, and your life, it, just, it may not be great, but you kind of get back on track. For me, how that week before that leads up to the moment I stand here, what I fill myself with makes an enormous amount of difference for me. Now, I'm thankful for God's grace that oftentimes you may not know it but the, because God's word does not come back to him empty. But the reality is what you fill yourself with in every aspect of your life will determine your life. And for the early Christians, they filled themselves to the brim with God and scripture and prayer and good relationships. And it says in a few moments that they were growing by 3,000. We've grown by like three or four I mean, we have a lot of visitors, and we love you guys, but I'm saying, you know, numbers-wise, so to speak. I don't don't count how many people are here on Saturday. It's not my job. But if you fill yourself with the Spirit of God, and if you fill yourself up, up with his word, it will make a difference. So, amen? Let's go to the next part. That was their prescription for what church looked like in the first century, and look at the next text. And awe came upon them. Because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Again, this is not we sell everything and we give. That's, that's not what this is about. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as they had in need. Day by day, as they spent much time together. Where did they spend much time? Day by day? <laughs> Tuesdays and Thursdays, Ned and I are here. We would love to have your company between 10 and 2. (laughs) But, But the truth is, central to their life, I mean, they were spending time at church, and they were praying, and they were eating together. And it says they spent much time together. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. Children, next time your mom makes you Brussels sprouts, have a glad and merry heart. Praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to the number those who were being saved. Day by day. They weren't raffling off anything. They weren't doing any fancy stuff. You see, oftentimes, we we look on Sunday morning television or just during the week at nighttime television, and we see these people, and we think that the Spirit is somebody who goes and heals somebody, you know? And we think that the Holy Spirit looks like we have the best music or the loudest music, which, by the way, we do have the best music, but that's not a symbol of the Holy Spirit, but we think that the Holy Spirit has to look a certain way. And the reality is, for as much as we try, the reality is, is that the Holy Spirit it manifests itself when you and I spend intentional time together. And many wondrous and miraculous things will be done. And so we go to the next story really quickly. It's, it looks long, but it's not. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now this is kind of weird. If that happened right now, I think I would be a little bit afraid if there was fire coming from the ceiling. Do you see what I'm saying? So we have to make... make we have to make a decision. I don't know if this is exactly how it happened, like the tongues like fire, because that's kind of scary for me. Or maybe the Bible writer Luke was trying to find language where he would really get to the core of what was happening. What matters here is what the result of this story is. It says all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages that gave, and the Spirit gave them ability. And this is where the story gets even better. Yeah. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one of them heard speaking in their native... Wait, what? Each one heard them speaking in their native language. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? So there was a ton of people from different parts of the globe or their region... A lot of them spoke different languages, and all of a sudden, they come to this place, and these new believers, these disciples also, were speaking different languages. And here's the key phrase, people understood what they were saying. People understood what they were saying. That's important, because I once, um, I once heard a story of someone who went to a church where they speak in tongues. But this girl told me, but I didn't understand a word they were saying. I'm not bashing on those churches, please understand. But if the Spirit of God fills you and moves you, others will understand. That is how you know if the Spirit is moving if others see and understand what is being spoken. Because God, when he gives you a gift, it's not just for yourself to feel I've been moved by the Spirit. When God gives you a gift, it's so that it can serve others. Amen? And how is it, verse 8, that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phryga, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and the part of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jewish and proselytites, Cretans, Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about what? God's deeds of power. What were they speaking? Why does God give them this? So that they could give witness and testify to God's wonderful and mighty power in this world. You see, oftentimes we think that the Spirit, the gift, that the that the Spirit gives us gifts so that we can be a part of the church. But the reality is that you're given a gift so that you can testify and be a witness to the mighty deeds of God in this earth. The truth is. These were people who had devoted their lives. They were constantly coming to God. They were constantly... Jesus and God wasn't just a part of their lives. It was the most important part of their lives. And as a result of that, every other aspect of their life was shaped by it. Now, when you make Jesus the central part of your life, things will change. Sometimes some of the changes are painful, Sometimes some of the changes you won't understand. I'm not going to tell you what those changes are because you're different than I am. I just know what these changes are in me. But when you make God the central part of your life, don't expect it to, for, for, for Him to just pat you on the back and say, hey, you're doing a good job. Come on, keep going. We all know that parenting that says, hey, good job for everything, that's not good parenting. Sorry, I just have this is my personal. Because I, I once heard this, this is what I heard. Tim Tebow. Was it Tim Tebow or Colt McCoy? Colt McCoy. I can't remember. I heard on the radio the other day. And the parent of this professional athlete, he says, one of the things that my wife and I decided early on was not to prepare the path for our child, which means removing every obstacle, making sure every, you know, everything is perfect so the son can just walk by. He says, no. We decided early on that we would prepare our child for the path. Because if you teach a child integrity and character and responsibility and what is required of them, if you teach them that life isn't always going to be easy because it isn't. I think it gets harder as you get older. But if you prepare the child, no matter what obstacle that they will encounter, it won't matter because you've prepared who they are at the core. When I heard that, I was like, that's brilliant. Because what I realized is that's what the Christian life is all about. It's that God has has begun a good work in each of us, and He will accomplish it until completion. And can I get an amen? How many of you has life been easy and and no obstacles in your life? Come on, testify somebody. Of course not, because that's not life. Christianity, the central story of our faith, is that a man dies. It's not roses. Not only did he die, he was beaten, he was insulted, he was crucified, he died a criminal's death. You see, so this life is not that it will be easy if you follow Jesus, it's that Jesus... And God are doing a work in you. They are doing that work now. So if you feel like, man, I have a lot of work to go. Well, you have the master, the master, I was going to say master magician. Woof! You have the, some of you, well, some of us may need magic because some of us, we're bad. But you have the master sculptor continuing this work in you. Because what God is concerned about is preparing you. He's not worried about the path. Because God knows that if he is with you, no one can be against you, no matter how bad things may be. That is why the church is crucial. That is why church, it's not important just because of what I do up here and we read the scriptures. I mean, this is crucially important. But what's even more important and more real, because a lot of you will forget what I said by next week. So obviously I can give you the best sermons, which I do, and you could still forget. But what you don't forget is when that person, when you were in need and that person helped you, you'll never forget that. You'll never forget when somebody comes and hugs you and they don't even know that you needed that hug. You're never going to forget when Bob tells you you're doing something wrong to kind of reprove you out of love. That's an inside joke. If you're a visitor, Bob is just, you have to just stick around and get to know him. We love him. The big teddy bear. But the truth is, The reason that this church was growing in the first century is because they had God at the center. Yes, they read scripture. Yes, they prayed. But then they spent time having fun. They spent time sharing meals. They spent intentional time. Because when we follow the first century prescription for what it looks like to be a church, Paul writes, Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, triumphal not failure triumphal even a failure is a triumph and through us spreads in every place the fragrance that comes from what knowing god you know what else the bible says about knowing god that if you know god that is eternal life jesus says that eternal life is that we would know god and his son whom he sent salvation is knowing the god of the universe And if we know him, we walk in triumphal procession and we spread the fragrance of God. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. We'll we'll do that death to death thing another day. But what I want to focus on today is that if you know God if you're trying to know God if you're seeking God that's part of knowing God that the fragrance that you spread will be the aroma of Christ God, Jesus once said I made I made your name known to them and I will make it known so that the love which you have loved me with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them what does Jesus say I have made your name known how By loving, by loving them. Jesus takes the love of God, and then he transfers it to us. And that's what we're called to do. And then Jesus, and I'll end with this, says, as you have sent me into the world, he's talking to God, I so have sent them into the world. That is our call. That is our challenge. It's our job And so the question that I I, I close with in my notes, it's and so what? And the truth is that God, he works in so many different ways. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's as subtle as just sharing a meal with somebody. And sometimes it's as big and miraculous as tongues from heaven resting on each one of us. Sometimes it's huge, it's big, it's over sensational. It's like, that must have been God. Other times it's more subtle. So this morning, as we kind of, we're just wrapping up with this, that the reason God does this is because he's sending us out into the world. There's something that's going to be happening here on September 24. September, September 24, right? Yeah, September 24. It's a Saturday morning. It's a Sabbath like every other Sabbath, except this, this particular Sabbath is going to be different. You see, what we're doing right now is we're kind of going through the book of Acts and what we're doing is we're actually looking at how the Holy Spirit moved for the very first Christians in hopes that we could recapture that and that the Holy Spirit would also move in each one of our lives. But the whole impetus, the driving force in the book of Acts, wasn't just that a new church was dawning. It was that the Holy Spirit was moving and drawing all people to himself. On September 24, we're, we're having what I'm calling, and I don't know if it's what we're going to call, but it's a come to Jesus weekend, but it's just happening on one day. Now, I know that there are people in your life that you just said, you know, I just, I just wish they heard the gospel. What we want you to do is just today right now, as I'm kind of talking over this, as you're, as you're, as you're listening to some of these texts, that in your mind you have that one or two people who you think, you know, maybe maybe they'd be willing to come to church that day. We have a committee of people who are working on trying to figure out what the best way to, like how is the best way to introduce people to Jesus on that Sabbath. And so what we want you to do and the first step, and right now is just think in your head, you don't have to say it, kind of just pray through it, is who is one or two people that I would love to just kind of hear the gospel? Because that morning, church service will not be just for you. It will be for those that we invite who need to hear the gospel. Now I know you're thinking, I don't know anybody, uh, or this person they would never come. Listen, God's already drawing them to Him. Okay, you're just going to be a small little part of the process. All you have to do is ask, but don't ask yet. Don't ask them this week. Hey, we're doing something. I might not, because that no one wants to go to church. If they don't already go to church, they don't want to go to church. Okay. We're going to lead you through some steps. Today, all I want you to do when you go home, when you're just going through your week, you know, who, who is God impressing on my heart to invite to church that day? And, and as you think about that, just ask the Lord to open your heart and your mind to who that person might be, because I guarantee you God's already working on them. Okay, next week we're going to give you another very intentional step. But right now, the only job for you to do is to pray and don't even hint to them that you're going to invite them to church. Just pray for them and ask the Lord to open the right opportunity for you. But that right opportunity is not this week, okay? Just hold off on that and just pray for them.